contains a bunch of badasses If you know what I mean They're coming out of the sky, out of the sea And on land, gonna take it to the enemy Lock it low, boys Time to explode, boys Make sure you get home, boys They got your back, the pride of the fleets The bright swinging frogmen Of the U.T.T. Hey folks, Commander Mark Devine coming at you here from SealFit headquarters. And I'm totally stoked today to bring to you a couple guests, uh, friends of mine and people, uh, one of whom I've known for many, many years and the other who I've just recently met, uh, to talk about a topic that is important to a lot of people, 1.3 million of them that we're aware of, who suffer from spinal cord injuries. So uh, we're going to have a discussion today with my friend John Atwater, who uh, some of you might remember some of the videos that we've had kind of chronicling his recovery process from his second spinal cord injury that he had. Yes, about. dubious distinction. I know, right? Having so, two spinal cord injuries. Not something you'd probably want to be remembered for. No. <laughs> uh, we're gonna, so I want to talk to John about his story and um, uh, all the way from, the, you know, back when he had his first injury and that recovery process and then this un unbelievably tragic second injury they had and now the challenges he's facing here. So, John, welcome. Thanks. Uh, thank you very much for joining me today. I'm also stoked to have as a guest here Matthew Reeve, who you may recognize as the son of the late Christopher Reeve, who, of course, played Superman on a series of movies and uh, Christopher Reeve was a childhood hero of mine, uh, both as Clark Kent and as Superman. Just super cool guy. And Christopher Reeve suffered a spinal cord injury when he was thrown off of his horse. And he went on to have an amazing uh, number of years raising awareness for spinal cord injuries and, and helping further the research and uh, helping people to recover from that. So Matthew has kind of taken the torch from his father and his doing a lot of great work in that area. And we're going to talk about that today. So thank you, Matthew, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. So let, let me start with uh, my friend John here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey and your story and some of your challenges? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because my uh, first injury was actually three years before Christopher Reeve uh, was injured. And that time in 1991, I was in a trampoline accident and had a fracture of C5-6. was paralyzed from the neck down initially, and paramedics arrived very quickly and administered a large dose of steroids, hmm. which at the time was experimental. I was helicoptered to uh, Barrows Neuro Neurologic Institute in Phoenix, where they did surgery, stabilized my spine, and I started to get some movement back in my upper body, and then in my right leg, and then eventually in my left leg. Mm -hmm. um, very different experience from my second injury in that uh, I had pretty close to a full recovery. In mm -hmm. fact, Within about three months, I was walking with a walker. Really? And um, walked out of rehab. Because you were a little bit younger then. I was like 20 years <laughs> ago. 24 years younger. That makes a lot of difference. And 
every spinal cord injury is so different. It's mm -hmm. really a black box. And you can have a complete injury or an incomplete injury. Mm -hmm. Complete injury doesn't mean that the spinal cord was severed. It means that there's no function below the level of mm -hmm. the uh, fracture. Mm -hmm. That was incomplete, obviously. So I went on to live a full life with most of my function. Right. Went back to work, got married, had a child. And then two years ago, uh, I was working on a house that you've visited in mm -hmm. southwestern Colorado and um, was working on the upper deck, second floor deck, and lost my balance and fell and hit a staircase on the way down and found myself paralyzed for the second time. And uh, interesting, though, because of the first injury, I knew that there was potential to come back. Mm -hmm. So I actually had more hope after the second injury than I did the first. Really? Okay. Other interesting thing is seeing the difference in treatment and rehabilitation 24 years later. Mm -hmm which is significant because in between that time and Christopher Reeves' injury, a lot of the advancements that you see in rehab are directly related to uh, a lot of the work that's been done through the Reeves Foundation. Is that right? Basically working on a table, my first accident, and now they have functional electrical stimulation where they can hook up electrodes to your quadriceps and hamstrings and glutes and you can ride a bicycle mm -hmm. they have partial weight support on tre treadmills mm -hmm. in fact the uh, Reese Foundation has a program called the Neural Recovery Network which they had at Craig Hospital mm -hmm. is a collaborator with the Reeve Foundation is that right? Uh, I remember visiting you in the Craig yeah. Hospital and they had a wide array of machinery there to try to get you stimulated and moving in different different manners. Yeah, and so much more is known now. A few years ago, it was thought that once the spinal cord was injured, there couldn't be any repair. Mm -hmm. It was done. Mm -hmm. And now it's known that there is still some neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. um, there are stem cells that can be activated. Mm -hmm. Neuronal axons can grow across mm -hmm. the site of injury, and, and you can recover some. Interesting. Function. Well, I want to come back to talk about kind of some of the mental aspects of what you've gone through in your recovery, because I think that'd be very interesting to the folks listening. But let, let me turn to uh, Matthew. Matthew, tell us a little bit about your father's injury and his work and, and some of the, the ways that, that the organization, the Christopher Reeves Foundation, has impacted the uh, you know, science of spinal cord injury and the recovery of it. Sure. Um, so my father's injury was at the C1, C2 level, the first and second cervical vertebrae, uh, right at the top of the neck where it, 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 it leaves the skull. Um, it doesn't get higher. It's very severe. And it rendered him paralyzed from the neck down. And he was ventilator dependent. He couldn't breathe on his own. At the site of the injury, or at the site of the accident, rather, um, just by some chance, there was a trained DMT nearby who performed a tracheotomy and got an airway going. And, you know, then there was a surgery that uh, fused his kind of head back onto his neck. He was in rehab for six months. And as 
John was saying back then in the, I mean, this was midnight, this was 1995, so the mid-90s, there was really, you know, not a whole lot known about spinal cord injury research. There's only a handful of scientists around the world working on it. It was kind of considered, um, you know, what this is your wheelchair, get used to it, and there's no hope. And, and since then, uh, that's all been turned upside down and there's every you know people who sustain injuries today or two years ago you know there's every reason to be hopeful and through you know an array of different research avenues whether it's sort of at the cellular level dealing with stem cells or you know at we're finding incredible results at the technological level with this epidural stimulation that project that we're funding right now and then with activity-based therapy which is you know i've personally seen people who have been paralyzed for eight years go through a six-month activity-based therapy cycle study and taking steps across the room. Okay. Um, it's, it's the, a lot of the early science has been turned upside down and that it used to be thought that all the information came from the brain down the spinal cord to the muscles and we've learned since then that it's two-way street and there's and there's a lot of information and a lot of memory in the muscles and activating them and sending the signals if you will kind of back up this like word to the brain can reawaken dormant pathways that have either been kind of cut off or impeded by maybe a broken bit of bone in the neck or what have you so you know this is one of the you know amazing things about my father's attitude and approach after he sustained the injury he, you know, a lot of people said, you know, there's, there isn't really a cure. I mean, there's never going to be a cure. This is kind of it. A couple people said there may be some kind of, there's some possibilities. There's some interesting work being done. He just refused to accept that this was his destiny forever. Um, he was like, no, there has to be a way. You know, he was always a big admirer of like the Wright brothers the Apollo astronauts, things like that, uh, guys like that, who just whenever something was said, it can't be done. And guys said, forget that, it can, and, and went out and, and, and proved to be right. Um, he adopted that mentality. And so the first thing he did was to find out as much information as he can, as he could, and, you know, get acclimatized and, and sort of aware of what was being done in which labs around the country and around the world as one thing to know about the research. And then for, he basically just endeavored to keep, he was so determined and so confident about Tom, he wanted to keep his body in shape for when there was a cure. And so he was very early on doing functional electrical stimulation, bicycle work. He was training, he trained every day for two to three hours to keep his body as ready as possible. Mm. An unexpected consequence of that was that by keeping himself in shape, he actually wouldn't, you know, get defined all conventional wisdom, regained some movement. And it started off, he was able to move an index finger about seven years after the injury. Uh, with more training, he developed, he was able to move a wrist. Um, eventually he could move his arm, not totally on command and not always, but periodically. And he started doing a lot of aqua therapy and training in the pool. I saw him actually take steps in the pool when he was suspended in a harness and there was no weight. He had, there was definitive innervation in, in the leg muscle. And you have to understand that 
you know, with an injury like that and that high, the difference between being able to use an arm or not means a life of independence or being totally reliant on other people. I mean, if he could control one arm, he could get in a van, drive away and, and, and go wherever. But as it happens, being on a ventilator requires, tw- requires 24-hour nursing care. You know, it's everywhere required planning. The insurance is a nightmare. Um, all these things. But anyway, so he, he that's a long-winded answer to a fairly straightforward question. But um, basically, you know, he raised funds for research and, and, and things that he started. And not just in terms of the mission of trying to get people out of wheelchairs and, and find cures for spinal cord injury. But sort of the, some of the personal things that he experimented with and tried have seen incredible results and have sort of become standard practice now. Mm-hmm. And so the ReFoundation, our mission is twofold. It, it's to fund research to find cures for spinal cord injury. And it's also to improve the quality of life for people currently living with paralysis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we uh, start to do day to day. And, you know, we try to foster a community, right? Like it's it's a very scary, challenging thing to sustain a spinal cord injury. And it's there's a whole new world of medical problems, all the secondary complications from spinal cord injury that don't really get talked about. You think it's not just paralysis. For a lot of people, paralysis is the least of their problems. All these other complications arise from dysreflexia to pressure sores to the list is endless. I mean, there's, there's, there's something, but you know, we strive to let people know they're not alone and that there's a community There's 1.3 million Americans, you know, 6 million people with some form of paralysis, whether it's from stroke or from the ALS and to let them know that we're there for them and that there's, we're a place where they can get information. There's, we're a place where they can connect to other people with spinal cord injuries and we try to be a place where we can instill hope and let people know that despite this new world and this new life, that they can still lead a very meaningful, productive and fulfilling life in their new condition. Right. Well, clearly your father had a very strong mindset. I mean, he, he displayed an unbeatable mind and this willingness not to take no for an answer. And it sounds like if he had more time and, you know, continue to do what he was doing, that he, he would have made a, uh, a, de- a decent recovery. He may have even walked again someday. So how important or where did that come from? I mean, does, does that something that, that he had before he had the injury or did he have to really you know, develop that mindset as a result of the injury? Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it, he, he certainly evolved before our eyes. You know, it was no guarantees that he'd sort of find his strength, and it, it, but he did. And it was remarkable to witness firsthand as a teenager and as a, as a young adult. He used to attribute it to his time as an actor, actually, and that a, he had to develop a discipline and a resiliency in the industry uh, when he was starting out because it's a trade and an industry that's just filled with rejection. I mean, for every 20 to 30 auditions, you maybe get one callback. For every 10 to 15 callbacks, you might get one job. So he used to attribute, you know, that kind of the early seeds of st- staying in the fight and not giving up and, and kind of staying committed to 
you know, his chosen vocation and all that helped him later with the accident. And he also, you know, this is something that I want to talk about more at the retreat in a, in a couple of weeks, but he also had a, you know, he knew his why. I mean, he had his, his family and, and it was us and especially my younger brother who was two when my father became paralyzed. I mean, he just, he, he did it all for us. I mean, it was for him to walk too, but you know, there were so many challenges he faced daily medically and, you know, professionally and, and, and mentally, but he had, he had this resiliency and yeah, I mean, it's hard to say where he came from. I mean, it was incredibly impressive, but he used to say in interviews that he came from his acting time. Mm, interesting. John, how about you? What's, what's the role of um, your mindset and how did that evolve or how was it impacted by your injury? That's interesting what Matt said. My first injury, I was single. I was young. I was devastated mm-hmm. by the accident. Um, second injury, I had a wife and I had a young daughter and had a much stronger why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's really driven my recovery to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an unfortunate crucible experience is what it is. Yeah, exactly. You'd much rather have done Kokoro. I was just going to say, yeah, you took the words on I wouldn't that. recommend this route. But no, no. It does elicit the same kind of growth, though. I bet it does, yeah. So on a, on a day-to-day basis, what are some of your biggest like, mental challenges? I mean, help people understand what it's like to... Yeah, well, try to overcome this. You know, overall, I think I keep a positive attitude, but it's definitely up and down. Mm -hmm. You know, I think something that people don't realize how hard it is for the family, for my wife, who's my sole caretaker. Mm -hmm. I'm certainly much more independent than than Matt's dad, and it's still a huge amount of work. Yeah. Uh, so it takes a big toll on those people. And, and that's probably what gets me down the most. Not, not about what's happened to me, but what's happened to them. Right. What keeps you on that training table every day or four or five times a week? I mean, we've seen improvements, but it seems like it's, you know, two steps forward, one step back, sometimes yeah. two steps back. And, but every day you show up and you get back on that table, just like Matt's dad did. Same reason as for you. Right. You know, I want to develop as far as I can. And I think I have a long way to go. The conventional wisdom is that after 18 months to two years, the improvement stops. And now it's being shown all the time that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. And I'm still getting stronger. I want to be able to walk my daughter down the aisle when she gets married. Mm-hmm. Matthew, what are some of the in current initiatives of your foundation that, that are showing great promise that you can talk about? Sure. So the most exciting thing we're working on right now is um, an epidural stimulation project. And without getting too technical, it's basically a, a device, an electronic device is attached at the base of the spine. And electrodes 
stimulate the spinal cord in a particular pattern. And we've seen four guys who have been paralyzed from the chest down regain the ability to move their legs on command and also to be able to stand with a walker. And so that's the exciting thing right now. And we're in the middle of a campaign called The Big Idea, which is to fund the next 36 patients. So we have a total sample of 40, uh, which comes into FDA regulations and sort of just standard practices for uh, studies like these. So and with the next 36, we are going to do study a greater variety of injury levels. These guys were kind of similar, similar range. Um, we also want to include women in the study. And, you know, we're pretty confident and optimistic based on what we've seen so far that this has the potential to, you know, be the beginning of the end of paralysis from spinal cord injury. The device that is used presently is an off-the-shelf device that wasn't designed for this. It's the equivalent of, you know, like an old cell phone from 1992, like a giant thing. And, uh, you know, we want to build the smartphone version uh, that can intuitively respond to the data that it's receiving back from the patient and sort of change its configuration to help, you know, improve that functionality. So that's really the most exciting thing currently. And, um, you know, I encourage people to check out reevebigidea.org. There's some videos with the guys and you can see how it's changed their lives, what they can do now. Um, and it's pretty powerful. When you see a guy that just move his, who's, who's totally paralyzed in the chest down, start to move his leg on command. It's it, it's hard hard not to be moved and inspired by it. You get in on that study, John. <laughs> yeah, so, so far I think it's all been complete injuries. Is that right? Um, hopefully the next round includes some incompletes. Right. But there's no reason to think it wouldn't work just as well for an incomplete as a complete. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but I just I know that once we get this 40 done, you know, the goal is to get then a hundred and then a thousand and then mm -hmm. 10,000. And it, you know, it's to, to just get as this to as many people as possible. Once we can prove beyond all doubt and legal mm -hmm. requirements that it, it, that it, it, it does what we think it can do. And we all know that the, um, the FDA process can be cumbersome and long is, um, do you see that as an obstacle to getting this deployed in a timely manner? Uh, in full honesty, I'm not fully involved in that aspect of it. You know, my uh, relationship with the foundation is on a purely voluntary basis, and I, I focus on fundraising and, and uh, kind of forging strategic partnerships and alliances, and I'm not involved in kind of the nitty gritty of things like that. We're also, I mean, we're funding it through. We're working with a, a university and a and a research team. And it's, you know, there's a bigger number of far smarter people than I handling all that, but hopefully not. I mean, I know it's, they're, they're, they're working hard on it. They, they want to, you know, make sure that all the boxes are ticked. The key is to get the funding together so that we can fund these next 36 patients. So we have the required sample size, but that's key. So that's where I'm focused on right now. It's, right, it's right. getting us to that. It's, it's a $15 million mark. We're about a little over halfway there. We're at about 58%. So, 
you know, if we can just get to that 15 million, which in the grand scheme of things is not a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we can we can get there for sure. Cool. Well, that's a good uh, segue for for me to uh, talk about how we might be able to help. But uh, we're going to see what we can do during the retreat, right? We're going to do a little workout called the Revoid, which is kind of our version of a, a superhero wad. Uh, it's it's designed so that folks who do have spinal cord injuries and or any injured athlete or warrior and has some mobility and can modify or, or scale uh, to do functional workout and, and figure out how to do a burpee and a push-up and an, a sit-up, then we're going to do it, this special wad for the whole SEAL Fit and Unbeatable Mind community on uh, Saturday morning, December 5th. We're going to do it during our Unbeatable Mind and retreat, and we're going to live stream it here at headquarters. Uh, so uh, if you want to find out more information about this, it's sealfit.com slash revoid. And I'm pretty excited about that. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be really fun. Yeah. We, we tested out the wad itself yesterday with our uh, basic training certification. We had 37 people. So um, hopefully you can join us. And Matthew, we're going to see you here at the retreat. I'm, look, I'm super looking forward to meeting you in person. I know John is as well. We'll have some great time to chat about all sorts of things, including what we've talked about today. Yeah, likewise. I can't wait to get there and, uh, and to do the workout and, um, yeah, to, to continue talking. Yes. Yeah, so if, if you are interested in supporting this initiative, please go learn more. Sign up. Sign up yourself individually or bring a team. Uh, let's support this foundation. Let's support Matthew's work. Uh, let's help people like John out. It's going to be a lot of fun, and it's a way to you know do something important and meaningful. John, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, yeah I appreciate you. it. Matthew, you as well. Thank you. Thanks, time. Matthew. Yeah. Thanks, John. Train hard, stay safe, and do something to support the Christopher Reeve Foundation. Booyah! Coach Lennon. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.